Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department in Derby. Today is a very special and somewhat different and potentially disastrous uh, attempt at a podcast that we're going to do uh, via phone. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by somebody who is going to be incredibly familiar to anybody in this country involved in paediatric emergency medicine, and that's Dr. Damien Rowland. Good evening, Damien. Good evening. He's there. Fantastic. It vaguely works. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Damien. So many people will know you from your work in research and PEM and particularly social media. Um, You are, to me, just my old JHO. So at least we're clear on where we stand to start with. You've always been my favourite uh, SHO, Ian. Excellent. Excellent. There you go. That's how we start. So we are going to talk a little bit about research this evening and... For me, as a when I was a trainee, and I used to sit there in journal clubs and think, gosh, this is all very clever, research was always something other people did. How did you get involved in research, and why? Yeah, it's, it, it's a good question, because certainly when I started in medicine, um, research existed as a form of something to aspire to and how we learned but it wasn't something I don't remember ever being particularly interested in Um, until I was doing my PICU attachment, um, I suppose just before I became a registrar. And one of the consultants, uh, Harish Vyas at the uh, uh, University of Nottingham, um, he was just, seemed to have so much knowledge and enthusiasm for medical literature, and some of it was quite scary and a bit off-putting because he just quote and quote and quote stuff, but you could just see how enthused he was about applying stuff that had been um, developed and, and learned through academic studies and just applying it to the patients he saw in front of uh, him, and that just inspired me uh, to get interested in research, I suppose. Okay, yeah, I, I knew Harish as well very well, and his sort of almost encyclopedic knowledge was quite frightening at times, that he would quote, I think that's all he did when he went home, was just read papers, was my impression. Um, so how did you, how did you, get, did you get started? Did you just sort of say, yes, I'll start collecting data for, for X, Y and Z studies? You know, because I think that's where many people think, well, how the hell do I get started in this? Well, I, I mean, I think the, uh, I, I got quite lucky, uh, but I think the, important first differentiation is, is this term kind of academia, which I think is probably off-putting mm. um, to a lot of people because it sounds very um, high-end university and a bit distant. But actually, a lot of work that kind of doctors can do uh, at the moment, even something as, as simple as audit, can actually have quite important research uh, implications. So we get involved in the, the, the concept of uh, using an evidence base, uh, kind of taking knowledge from studies and applying in practice, or collating our own evidence of local practice. And in a way, that is part of the, the research journey. And I think, in, in a way, kind of research and data gathering is probably a better term at, at the, the uni end than thinking about kind of academia. But I was so fortunate because I went to Australia. Uh, for a a year uh, just after getting my membership exams for the Royal College of of Paediatrics and during that time I just had a bit of free time. I was given a a day or half day, I can't remember, just to develop projects Um, and that just gave me an opportunity just to think about 
something that I'd seen in uh, the children's emergency department where I was working, which was the outcome of blood cultures and other tests taken for children who had pneumonia. Um, and I did a, uh, it wasn't really a study, it was more of a kind of a data collection exercise, mm. but looking at how often a blood culture or the results taken for children who had pneumonia actually changed practice. Um, now, this study has been replicated millions of times and ev- uh, virtually any study that's ever been done of children who present with pneumonia to a clinical setting, that the blood cultures taken almost never change practice yeah. and are almost worthless in some respects um, until you start thinking about actually how do we know what the current... Um, either phenotypes, uh, genotypes, and bacterial markers are. So you can't not do them, but actually they never change what we clinically do. And I find that quite an interesting research and governance conundrum. So do you think sort of just that getting that involved to start with makes you think, well, that was interesting. What's the next thing? And what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? Is that, is that sort of how it worked for you? Do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it certainly worked like that for me. But I think it also it makes you look at one your own practice. So it, yeah. it, I think research is really good at shining a light on, actually, are you as good as practising as you think you are? Um, because uh, often people find they're not. Are your colleagues or your organisation as good as practising as they may think they are? Um, and both of those things are good at shining a light. And I think that's, why, that's how I hope people get involved. It's not about saving the world. You're not going to suddenly publish the paper that's going to get you a Nobel Prize. But actually doing a small amount of work locally might actually just improve people's practice, even if it doesn't produce groundbreaking results. And I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, because I guess many people might feel quite daunted that, you know, I've got to produce something that's going to appear in JAMA or the BMJ or something like that. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, certainly not. And I think one of the things that paediatricians do par excellence um, is... We seem to have lots of conferences and meetings, um, and there's always something that you can submit to present at, and it doesn't have to be particularly uh, highbrow, but it's just something for you to uh, kind of aspire to, get a chance to uh, present on stage or do a poster, and these are both really important things. Not really in terms of the research, but in being able to communicate effectively. And actually, one of the big problems we've got in the 21st century is how do you best translate knowledge? And I think learning how to speak to others, to present materials that engage others, that's an important skill. Forget the research element. All future kind of leaders in paediatrics need to have those skills. And this is a good way of gaining them. Sure. So... Thinking it from a sort of a PEM perspective, there's so much that we can do. What do you think the particular challenges of, of trying to do research in, in PEM are? Um, so, I mean, I think there's a, a, a couple of facets to that. So let's, from, from my perspective, uh, as someone who I, I has a bit of given time to work up kind of research proposals and kind of deliver studies that are supposed to have some uh, impact because that's kind of the the sword of Damocles hanging over my head, in, in, kind of to produce stuff. Um, 
is the fact that we, we, we do things on scale, which is brilliant. We've, we've got loads of patients, but it, it's very, it's busy. Clinicians are quite busy. The studies that we need to do sometimes involve a bit of time and finding the time to uh, consent or do those extra tests or do those ex explanations can be very challenging in the PEM environment. Um, having said that, uh, I think there's a lot of work that's been done recently at this one, the concept of uh, def deferred consent. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the, the Eclipse study is a great yes. example of that, um, where we, you don't get consent from the parents uh, before you do what you need to do and you take a bit of time afterwards because the parents themselves ask for that. And Kerry Fall in Liverpool has done some amazing work at demonstrating uh, that actually it's that the parents and the public want to, to have that stuff deferred and that makes it much easier to do these bigger studies yeah and of course that's where joining together works best doesn't it and that's where peruki comes in so for, for those who've not heard of it what, what is peruki and what's your involvement with peruki um so uh, peruki is pediatric emergency research united kingdom an island and is the brainchild of, a, of a, a number of people, but I, I think I have to highlight uh, Professor Ian McConaughey, who, who works in London, and Mark Little, who was the immediate past chair of Peruki, both who have been kind of research leads and kind of my own personal goes for, for, for some time. And they really felt that actually uh, PEM clinicians were very collaborative. We were emerging specialty. We got on well with each other. Why can't we bring units together and do combined research? Because the, the, the whole is much greater than the sum yeah. of its parts. And so they did some very early studies exploring, one, what the research priorities are. So we just asked general PEM clinicians, what are your top 10 research things that you need answered? Uh, we looked specifically at asthma. Um, and one of the early Peruki studies demonstrated the huge variability there was between PEM clinicians when it came to treating moderate to severe asthma. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I love about research. We just realise how variable we are. Um, so I've taken over as chair of Peruki from Mark. Um, and one of the th my ambitions is, is to continue the good work that's gone forward, and Peruki has a, a regular stream of publications. But I'm really keen on developing others who might find research a bit frightening um, and, and help them develop their own skills. So we're about to launch something called Root to Research, where we uh, just get people to submit ideas. And it's not going to be a, a complex form. The form won't be off-putting. You can just jot down a couple of sentences. But we as an executive can have a look at those and think, oh, actually, that's a really good idea. Mm. This person might not have the background skills to do this, but I know someone who can. And we can start helping people develop kind of research ideas of the future. That's fantastic. I mean, because that's one of the things that I, I, I like about Peruki is that, you know, it's, it's often a very collaborative. It's a what, what are the things that people want to know? Because, you know, that's the things that, that those are the things that work best is because is, there's, there's so many things that, as you say, you realise that I do something different from the person stood next to me who does something different, you know, 50 miles down the road. Um, so this next route to research sounds excellent. Route to research, yeah. Fantastic. And then do you collaborate with other organisations globally? So 
Aussie and North America. Yeah, and those sorts of things. I mean, one of the really nice things, so so we have Peruki. There's also something called PERN, so that's the Pediatric Emergency Research Networks. So PERN is uh, Peruki, but it's also Predict, which is the Australian version of uh, Peruki. Then there's PERC, which is a Canadian version. Um, and then there's PECAN, which is the American version, and there are European versions. And so there, is, there are now international studies, um, and a couple of those have um, already been published. One was, uh, a recent one, which is really interesting, is looking at how often a PEM consultant does a critical procedure. So that is an, an intubation, um, interosseous needle insertion, um, thoracotomy, etc., and actually, it is vanishingly rare. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, I remember answering the questionnaire and thinking, bloody hell, who does this? Yeah, and it, it's worryingly so, because actually these are skills we probably should mm. have, but actually it is once in a blue moon. You may go a couple of years yeah. uh, b- before something comes up, um, and actually that's a re- that has massive training implications um, for kind of PEM organisations. Uh, so I think it was a really good question to answer and gave a real international flavour of the problems we face. And of course, then that leads on to, well, how are we going to organise this collaboration? How do we talk to each other? And of course, that's where, you know, what, social media comes in. One of the, the things that you've, you've pushed very hard and very enthusiastically for several years. And one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm deeply interested in is, is sort of saying to all trainees, you really should be on Twitter. That, that's where stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, and certainly, I mean, I think this is a prime example of uh, the, the, the new ways in which people kind of gather information. Um, and I think, so if you did, let's take podcasts for an example. If you go back 10 years, kind of podcasts were only just starting to emerge. Now there's a, a podcast for every possible different specialty you, you can think yeah. of um, and actually that diversity is really good because some of them are bad and, and some of them are good but the user gets to choose but social media is very good at percolating that the stuff that works to the top and making it easily accessible um, and it, not all stuff works for all people and I, I think Peter yeah. Potts is a really good example of something that is, is a really easy entry for, for those who are wanting to learn and explore uh, paediatrics but for someone like me who has kind of experience in the field I quite listen to the podcast to check that I'm not doing anything different so it might not be I, I, I personally might not learn yeah, anything yeah, yeah. but I, I validate my own practice um, so it, it can work on, on multiple levels. Um, and I suppose the other thing that kind of you guys have been good at is infographics, and it's something that we've done at EM3 yeah. uh, as well, is this information exchange. How do we make information as accessible as peop- to, to people as possible? But we're also, we, we don't go OTT with it, so there's a, a couple of research papers that have shown that actually infographics, they're nice, people really like them, but knowledge retention afterwards might not be that great. Mm-hmm. So this isn't the be-all and end-all. We're we're not saying we're solving educational problems, but we're just providing different formats for people to be able to kind of look at their own practice, collaborate with others and improve patient care. Yeah, and I think it, it's, it's a bit about sort of, I guess, accessibility. As it's, a, it's a, often a sort of simpler way into to these sorts of things. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the SGEM and Ken Mill, and, you know, he's always saying, 
be sceptical, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. And, and uh, that's absolutely right. It, it's not, these things are not sort of replacing thinking for yourself. They're a way in to think for yourself, is, is how I would see it. I think they encourage thinking for yourself because I think we're a community that are quite good at uh, not criticising but, but challenging the way we do things. Um, and it, it's really good to see when a, a new paper comes out um, that there is rapid dissection. One of the things I think has definitely changed in the last 10 to 15 years is I was certainly, when I was a kind of a junior a doctor, is that I, I wasn't really aware of any research that was coming out. Um, and I certainly, from an emergency medicine context, I, I don't think the kind of uh, junior registrars were that aware of, of the field of research. Now, with social media making things a little more accessible, and with some kind of uh, a number of podcasts and blogs that bring research to you in a way that's accessible to you, when you wander around the shop floor, I think. The, the junior doctors are much more aware of, of the currency of research and what's been published in the last couple of months. And I think that's entirely due to social media. Yeah, and I think you'd have to give something that you write for and, and I've previously contributed to is, is don't forget the bubbles, and in particular the bubble wrap, which you know is, is an excellent resource of you know diving in and, and showcasing and pointing people towards current research. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a great way to, to, to get involved yourself. I and mean, I'm very keen, uh, if, if you allow me to make a little shout out, if, if, if anyone is out there who wants to review something for bubble wrap, so you do not have to have great critical appraisal skills, you just read a paper, make a comment on it, and, and I and or others will work with you to produce something that can go on the website. And, don't forget the bubbles has a massive audience. Yeah. So, so if you want to get your name out there, that's a really easy way to do it. I mean, I think it's probably the paediatric website, realistically, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, okay, that's one way in. For, for the person sitting there thinking, okay, this sounds something doable. This doesn't sound, you know, incredibly highfalutin. I, I'd like to get involved. What, what sort of tips would you give them to sort of say, here's, here's how you can start out? Um, so... One, it depends on, is there someone in your locality who has kind of research or study experience, or is there a study going on in your institution? Um, because a, a great way to get involved is learn how to take consent for studies and, and yeah. be involved in a study yourself, um, yeah. because you, you understand how things work. It, it's it's a really good thing for, for your CV. It's not everything is about your CV, but I think when I'm examining, uh, kind of, uh, sorry, interviewing people who are coming for, for jobs um, in, in Leicester, it, it, I'm interested in whether they are interested in research. And it, this is a good way to demonstrate that you truly are interested in research, is being involved in recruiting to a study. Um, if you want to do your, your own study, one of the, the, the easiest things to do if, you're, if you don't have a, a research group accessible to you, it is look at examining literature. Now, the EMJ do a best bets yeah. initiative, um, and that's a really good way to, to get some skills that kind of take a, 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 re a an easy-to-answer research question, you examine some literature and you come up with with an answer, and that's something that you can get published but, but doesn't involve ethics or anything like that. Yeah. Um, if you want to do a 
actually some work. The, the easiest way in is to look at a service evaluation rather than going through to straight jumping to a randomized controls yeah. trial because that's that's a lot of work but there are lots of things that you can do to examine your local practice which are answering a research question or i suppose more importantly may lead to developing a research question um, so let's take for example um, if you look at something that's been published recently about how we treat dehydration, for example, yeah. big American paper demonstrated actually you might as well give apple juice yeah. as opposed to any other medication. Now, personally, I, I, that study was interesting because I suspect loads of children in that we wouldn't have even considered dehydrated at all and would have sent home. Um, but I think what that does is it, it challenges maybe us in the UK to think about, okay, well, actually, the children that we see in our department, how many of them do get some treatment if they're, they're um, thought to be dehydrated? How do we measure dehydration? Uh, how do we, what's the average length of stay, for example? Is there any variabilities between age? These are all really good questions, and some of them are slightly audit-based. You're comparing to mm -hmm. a standard, but some of them will make you think about, okay, well, why are we doing that, and is there a better way of doing it? Fantastic. So uh, I think the, the take-home is maybe research isn't quite what you think it is. It's not quite that. I must organise an enormous multi-centre trial they can start small but they can be incredibly clinical clinically relevant and i think increasingly there are lots of increasing ways in ways that people can access that that would be my take out from this i think yeah yeah definitely and i think uh using social media to work out what's going on out there what people are interested in and link yourself so i have a number of collaborations that have come from from people i've only met via kind of Twitter and, yeah. and other means. Uh, I've got a couple of papers published with people I've never even met face-to-face. -face. Yeah, uh, so there's lots of opportunity out there. Lovely. And uh, for those who wish to follow you, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, so I'm at Damien underscore Rowlands. Um, um, but actually, one of the things I've been lucky enough to do, because my name's quite unique, if you just Google Damien or any spelling of Damien, it's A-N, but even if you put E-N in, uh, my university site comes up at the top, so all my details are on there. Fantastic. And also, worth saying, Peruki's worth a follow as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and we, we, we have just recently appointed a, a social media lead uh, for Peruki, that's uh, Katie Knight who's going to be helping us kind of pump out a bit more information over the next year or so. Fantastic. So lots to look forward to. Damien, thank you so much for your time. It is very much appreciated. I shall let you go off and research a glass of wine or something like that now. Um, but thank you for your time. It's, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you.